The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. Coming up, we're going to take a deep dive into the Dallas Cowboys and uh, analyze the draft they had and their schedule for the 2020 season with RJ Ochoa, the site manager for the Cowboys SB Nation site, bloggingtheboys.com. We're going to talk to him in just a few minutes also about an interesting piece by Warren Sharp regarding schedule inequalities and how the Cowboys have had it so sweet over the last decade. So we're going to get into all that coming up here in the next few minutes on Eye on the Enemy. But first, a reminder, leave that five-star rating and review if you haven't done so at the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed on Apple Podcasts. It helps us uh, grow this fine podcast. And thank you, as always, for checking out BleedingGreenNation.com and being loyal listeners to BGN Radio, Eye on the Enemy, the Kisten Solak Show, Babes on Broad, all the shows we have for you here on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. And joining me for this edition of Eye on the Enemy to get a little bit more intel on the Dallas Cowboys is RJ Ochoa from SB Nation's Cowboys site, Blogging the Boys. Again, you can follow RJ Ochoa at RJ Ochoa. RJ, thanks for coming back on Eye on the Enemy, man. How are you? I'm doing great. It's always uh, fantastic to talk to one of the more loyal and rabid fan bases uh, in the world, really, uh, and one of my good friends in you. So uh, glad to be here. Back at you, pal. And, um, you know, this is great. I've been wanting to get you on for a couple of weeks. I've been uh, kind of going through some some uh, I've been going through the, the the different drafts and the different schedules for the all the teams in the NFC East. And now I want to drill down on teams individually. And we've got to start off with you guys, because the Cowboys are, of course, the, the Eagles biggest competitors in the NFC East. This division has gone back and forth between us over these last few years. I mean, I think one of us at some point is going to win back to back divisions. <laughs> it has to happen. Hasn't happened since 04. You got to think you got to figure it's going to happen at some point here. And I know the Cowboys fans are feeling really good about the draft. And as an Eagles fan who does not feel good about his team's draft and seeing what, what you all did, I got to say, I understand the optimism from Cowboys fans after after what went down. It just really, before we get into specific players, it really felt like the draft just, the, the board just fell right in your laps this year. Is that your sense of it as well? That just things just sometimes work out? Yeah, I'd say so. And, you know, obviously the Cowboys have a different coaching staff. And so it made the draft really exciting. Um, you know, granted, they have the same scouting department and, and personnel on that side, but uh, we had grown so accustomed to sort of uh, the rhythms of 
Jason Garrett's staff and, and the positions they prefer and the positions they don't pay any mind to. You know, a lot of Cowboys fans, uh, in many senses, admire Fletcher Cox because the Cowboys refuse to address the defensive tackle position to to that degree. Um, and so it was it was fun to try to put that the new puzzle together. And um, and yeah, I mean. Uh, it, it sounds strange, and I, I'm sure it's still a little bit salt in, in many people's wounds, but it was, I think, by many of us viewed as brave, if that's a weird word to use, uh, but for the Cowboys to draft C.D. Lamb. But but it, it truly signified the direction that they would end up going every round. Just, hey, we're just going to absolutely take the best possible value. And it was so strange to see them pull that trigger, you know, pick in and pick out. And um, at the end of it all, I mean, you look back and, and it was the wisest way to roll. Uh, it's kind of amazing how hard that is to uh, wrap your brain around sometimes. But it was fun and, and it was fun. And uh, I think they still have some positions of weakness. But overall, I think they have some serious points of strength. And that's what's exciting. Yeah, I mean, you can do that. You can kind of try and give yourself as much balance, but not be great in any one area. Or you can just try to load up in one spot, and especially in, a, in something like the draft where, you know, these are prospects and you do value is is an important part of the process. You don't want to reach for players because they fill a specific positional need. And I got to say, I, I think I think Mike McCarthy and his staff reads Bleeding Green Nation because <laughs> the week before... I had an inkling in my own mind that something was going to go down with the wide receivers and either your team or Washington, because I wrote a piece in which I speculated, you know, Washington needs a top shelf wide receiver talent for Dwayne Haskins. And if they did decide to trade down to like four or five or something like that, I could have very easily seen them go after and get Henry Ruggs or CeeDee Lamb or something like that. And I made that bold prediction that that's something that could happen. And I didn't see the Cowboys being able to, to land Lamb. What I saw was the Cowboys maybe moving down one or two spots and taking Justin Jefferson out from under the Eagles. That's That was the prediction I made the week before the draft, was that the Cowboys, if they were going to do something to screw the Eagles up, it would be to take Justin Jefferson, because that's the guy we had all had in mind that would be available for the Eagles at 21. So when, when CeeDee Lamb started creeping down, you know, slot by slot by slot, and I saw the Cowboys sitting right there, I knew... I knew you were going to take him. <laughs> I knew C.D. Lamb was going to Dallas, and I knew the Eagles, if they were going to get him, would have to trade up to Atlanta. And when that didn't happen, I had no doubts in my mind that C.D. Lamb was going to Dallas. Talk to me a little bit about your reaction when they got Lamb. You just did a little bit there, but your reaction to getting Lamb, and not only getting him, but depriving the Eagles of him, and what kind of fit he's going to be there in Dallas. Well, so I think, um, you know, Washington obviously made a run at Amari Cooper as well. Um, and I think that that's important context because a lot of our readers and listeners and a lot of our writers, too, had, had speculated way before free agency, you know, what if the Cowboys just move on from Amari Cooper? Or this was at the time uh, before the new CBA had been negotiated to. So when there were still two franchise tags out there, uh, mm -hmm. place the transition tag on Amari Cooper and just trade up to draft CeeDee Lamb. And then in 2021, you say goodbye to Amari. You've got CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup, and you move forward in that direction. Um, so that was, I think, a pipe dream of many um, <laughs> in, in some ways. Um, and so then when Amari Cooper resigned, you know, I think everybody just sort of assumed that that wouldn't happen. And there were a lot of people that when you when you talk just straight basic draft needs that didn't really put wide receiver at the top for the Cowboys. And um, I think it was a need. I mean, they do have Amari. Cooper, Michael Gallup. But I mean, outside of that, they're, you know, the cupboard is a little bit empty. And I think they're going to be playing a lot more in 11 personnel now with Mike McCarthy, since Jason Garrett was allergic to it. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, you need three receivers to run in that. And so um, when, when CeeDee Lamb started to fall, 
I honestly think, and I think I would speak for most people, I was more stressed than anything because <laughs> we have seen the Cowboys prioritize need over star talent. And the mm. best and most glaring example is when they took Taco Charlton over TJ Watt three years ago. They viewed Taco as their scheme fit and they didn't like that TJ Watt's arms were, were short enough. They didn't think he could put his hand in the ground and, you know, all your cliches in that regard. And so I think everybody w- was both terrified and fascinated for um, the ultimate sort of, you know, fork in the road to be presented to the Cowboys because it, w- it became obvious to your point, you know, when Atlanta was on the clock that CD was going to be there. And the Cowboys had been linked to Caleb on chase on the, almost the entire draft process. Right. And so it, it really was this, we're going to find out who they are, you know, and that was exciting, you know, to be able to learn if they truly do value need over best talent available or if they are, you know, hey, BPA and, and whatever. And so when they hit the the clock it was it, it was the the most stressed i've been since johnny manziel was on the clock in 2014 <laughs> and you know that draft landed them zach martin and so uh, i hope this uh, has a similar effect um but it, it was it was more stressed than thank god cd made it to 17 if that makes sense no for sure and it's an, it is going to be a great fit there do you think he's going to line up in the slot or are they going to make him an outside guy you know for so long the cowboys rolled with des bryant terrence williams and cole beasley and each of them were very good at something, but they were all very good at one particular thing. I mean, Des was your X, Terrence was your Y, and Cole Beasley was your slot guy. I'm sure this isn't fun for your fan base to hear, but the Cowboys have three receivers that can all almost do it all. And so I think he'll probably play primarily out of the slot, but I also think he's big enough and strong enough to play outside. And so I think they'll use him all over the place. That's uh, that's kind of the way Kellen Moore likes to roll. Yeah, and I I don't think I would be nearly as uh, annoyed at uh, the C.D. Lamb uh, pick if the Eagles hadn't, in the second round, taken a quarterback for reasons passing understanding. And if they'd gone out and gotten uh, Christian Fulton and uh, drafted him in the second round, just give yourself more strength in the secondary against a team that's going to have one of the best wide receiving trios in football. That would have made more sense to me. Would have helped me, would have helped calm me down a little bit, RJ. (laughs) What was your reaction when the Eagles did that? I mean, obviously if you're a team in the NFC East, you've got to be scratching your head and trying to figure out what the Eagles are doing with that pick. Well, so I had several reactions. You know, first of all, the Cowboys had just drafted Trevon Diggs, and so we were pretty thrilled. You know, that's for, a great that's a great pick there, uh, fifty one. Yeah. So, so we're kind of dealing with the aftermath, and and in that particular moment, creating content. Right, like let's let's get some let's get a podcast up. You know, let's look, we got this article. Somebody's breaking this down, whatever. And so we're all kind of you know coordinating and planning, and then the pick happens. I mean, I would be lying if I said it wasn't just utter laughter and um and it it was fun i mean and i think that's what makes the rivalry fun and makes sports fun because it was wild i mean it truly i i can't remember (laughs) a pick like that being so polarizing and what i mean it it was almost my immediate thought was i need to head over to bleeding green nation and just read the comments and uh and i was not (laughs) disappointed I, I will say, and I know I've come on here and talked to you about it. I, I'm not, a, you know, I know that some people view it as, you know, I don't care about anybody's feelings and you've got to put together the best possible team and Howie Roseman needs to build a monster, whatever. I, I just, even if for whatever reason, Jalen Hurts was the best player available in Howie Roseman's eyes at that particular moment, I still think the, the uniqueness of the situation should steer you away from that because yep. I, I just, for, for, if you're going to cater, and I don't think the Eagles are doing this or are, or should, or, you know, have been doing this, but if you're going to cater to anybody's feelings or uh, pander to anybody, it is undoubtedly your quarterback. And 
that that Carson just got out of that shadow, and yes. I I just that I I don't know how other to put it than to say it was really mean to to do that to Carson once. Well, I mean, obviously, if you've listened to any of the podcasts I've done, and most of the podcasts that any of us have done at, at uh, BGN Radio, uh, we all feel the same way about it. Just given the history of what went down, it just made absolutely no sense to us. And and the Trayvon Diggs uh, second round selection was outstanding value there i know there are some that aren't sold on him but i i think he's i think it's a terrific ad in the second round and then in the third round you guys went out and got uh defensive lineman uh defensive lineman neville gallimore from oklahoma and that got high reviews too because i mean here's a guy who was expected to go much earlier than he went and it it just happens to also fill a position of need, which seemed to be a pattern. You get guys around later than you thought you would get them, and they fill a position of need for you. Yeah, and the Cowboys admitted after the Friday rounds that they had Neville Gallimore rated higher than they did Trevon Diggs. But at the time, you know, the Cowboys were rumored to take Caleb on Chase on or any one of the corners, mm-hmm. Christian Fulton or, um, you know, A.J. Terrell. There was a lot of guys that they were in the mix for. Um, but so, you know, they really needed help in the secondary. Losing Byron Jones certainly exacerbated that need. But so to land Gallimore was great. And it really, you know, it, it, it was sort of a two birds, one stone thing for me. It really shows their commitment. I mentioned to defensive tackle now. They also signed Gerald McCoy and Don Terry Poe in free agency. And what I really love about it is for so long, the Cowboys have been this organization of, well, we drafted so-and-so, so we're just going to have to make that work. And then, you know, that's how you end up with subpar talent in so many places. And last year, their first pick, uh, it was a second-round selection after trading for Mari Cooper. They took Tristan Hill, who was really just disappointing throughout his rookie year. And so I love that one year, even after they took Tristan Hill in the second round, they're not afraid to go out and invest heavily at the defensive tackle position because they realize what they've got. Let's talk about the day three picks here. You had two fourth rounders, a fifth rounder, and a seventh rounder. And obviously, I know I read a post at uh, Blogging the Boys where uh, y'all were essentially thanking the Eagles for helping you out, first with the C.D. Lamb selection and not trading up to get him, but also uh, with the the young center from Wisconsin that you guys all landed, which uh, came generally, you know, mostly from the benevolence of the Eagles. Yeah, Tyler Biotish, um, actually on our podcast network, we have an interview with uh, Jesse Temple from The Athletic who covers Wisconsin and so kind of gave us a, a preview on him uh, and what to expect. And the poetry of it is really great. Obviously, with Travis Frederick retiring and, you know, being a Wisconsin player himself, you know, number one center in the nation a year ago, there, there's a lot to like. And uh, we haven't seen the Cowboys move up in the draft all too often in recent memory. And so it was really interesting to see that, let alone that that happened to be with the Eagles. And so I, I love that pick. I mean, the Cowboys, for what it's worth, did re-sign both Adam Redman and Joe Looney. Uh, Joe Looney, if anybody's not aware, is who played for Travis Frederick at center two years ago when Travis missed the entire season battling Guillain-Barre syndrome. And so he certainly got experience. They drafted Connor McGovern last year. Uh, I'm sure a lot of Eagles fans are, are Penn State fans, um, has yep. some center flexibility. And so that we already kind of, we went into the draft thinking, you know, in terms of how they were going to replace Travis Frederick, that they had a lot of options. They had a lot of combinations of offensive lines they could put out. And so it, it does kind of see, seem like they view Biotish as their center of the future and uh, to land him in the fourth round. And, you know, I believe the last time the Cowboys traded in the draft with the Eagles was when they landed Sean Lee. Um, so uh, if this turns oh. out like that, yeah. um, again, it, it would be pretty nice. And, and I don't mind, how, you know, uh, making a trade with a division rival if it's going to help the Eagles out. And the Eagles got a lot of extra picks uh, because of that deal, because they they turned the Cowboys picks that they got into some other picks later in the draft. And, you know, 
on day three, you're hoping for a lot of lottery tickets and hope that one or two of them pan out. Uh, but overall, what what this is probably a silly question. What grade uh, did you give uh, the Dallas Cowboys uh, draft? Did, do you grade the drafts, first of all? And, and if you did, what grade did you give them? Well, I don't want to be the I don't grade the drafts guy. I mean, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we all blog. We need right. to grade these. things, Right. Exactly. Um, but however, you know, it's obviously, you know, you can't give anything an A plus, you know, whatever. And so um, and, you know, then you, you you get the guy, the comment. These guys haven't even played it down to football. And, and all that, you know, being said, I, I, I give the draft um, not really an A, but I, I guess if we're grading it like uh, pass or fail, it's a pass. You know what I mean? I, I think the mm-hmm. Cowboys went out and they showed us a lot of important things about the way the organization is functioning. And and players that they picked aside, that's the most important thing to me, uh, that they are prioritizing best player available in a lot of ways. Uh, the Biotish pick, I loved for several reasons simply in the trade because they traded a fifth-round pick next year. And I know this is already a Howie Roseman specialty, which is why a lot of Cowboys fans hate the Eagles because, you know, Howie <laughs> Roseman's awesome and forward-thinking. I mean, the Cowboys understand that they are going to have have a lot of compensatory picks next year and so they're just getting ahead of that you know they're figuring look mm-hmm. we can trade our fifth round pick now we're going to get another one next year and it's going to be fine and so th- those types of things show that the organization is at the very least operating in the 21st century and that's <laughs> i mean that it had been a long time since you could feel that safely about the dallas cowboys and so uh t- to get all that feeling to-, to get all that happiness and rainbows and sunshine amidst <laughs> cd lamb and trevon diggs and bradley and i in the fifth round and um, on and on and on. I mean, it, it was it was a successful of a week. L- last year's draft was awesome. I, I'm sure you know. You mentioned you know you have some some little boys. Avengers Endgame came out, and that was the weekend of uh, the Battle of Winterfell episode of Game of yeah. Thrones. And granted, that, that ended up being a letdown, but it was still a really exciting sure. weekend, right? It was like a lot yeah. of fun. In, in in many ways, this year's draft weekend sort of surpassed that for me. Wow, wow, that's bold. That is bold. It's a good that's a good weekend. Well, let's talk about your schedule then real quick. Uh the Cowboys have six primetime games this year if you count the Thanksgiving game against Washington, three on the road, three at home. You guys had five last year. Uh you have some tough stretches in here. You have to go to Baltimore to take on the Ravens on a Thursday night game in week 13. Uh, and then you get the Bengals the the following Sunday, so it's a nice bounce back, cushiony uh, type game there. Um, but you never know if it's a trap game late in the season. You got to go take on the uh, 49ers at home in prime time, and then you get uh, the Eagles at home in Week 16. As you put your list uh, together, as you did your win losses, as we all do when the schedule first comes out, um, what do you make of the schedule as uh, as it sits right now? Because of, again, of course, we don't know what the season's going to look like. This could all be for naught anyway. Sure. I- I um, you know, I, I think I love the fact that the Cowboys and, and granted so much of our world is up in the air. I love that they'll open up in L.A. on Sunday night football. I always am a fan of, of and this happens a lot for the Cowboys uh, playing on Sunday night football because it allows you the, the day to, you know, yeah. watch the Red Zone channel and, and kind of pay attention to your fantasy lineups and stuff like that. And so um, that and, and week one, especially, you know, where you're just so hungry to see everything. And uh, it's the worst when you, you know, you're like, oh, man, I don't get to watch, you know, Chiefs Ravens or whatever the case may be. And so. Uh, I'm very excited for that. I think they'll probably lose their their week three game in Seattle. That's just that's a weird point for them that they when they play Seattle early on, it's always a struggle. Um, hmm. and, and so that that game, I think, provides some hesitation. I think the most important run for them, honestly, is week five through week eight. Uh, they've got the Giants at home in that stretch and, and Jason Garrett's first game at AT&T Stadium uh, since leaving the team. The Cardinals, hmm. who I think we both probably think will be a little bit dicier at the very least in 2020. And then yeah. on the road in Washington and on the road in Philadelphia. 
Philadelphia. And those four games, three of them being division contests, all in, against the NFC, the, th- the fourth one maybe against another playoff contender, um, all on four different networks, by the way. I found it very strange that Cowboys <laughs> Giants is on CBS. I don't know how that happened. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. But, um, you know, that I think if they go three and one in that stretch and if the losses to the Cardinals, I think that, you know, this season probably breaks the right way for them. I think they probably lose that first Philly game, honestly. Um, this okay. is the Sunday Night Football one. Um, just because I, that that kind of feels like the sweet stretch for the Eagles when, when things start. Oh, actually, in, in many ways, I think that's also when Eagles fans are panicking before things settle down. <laughs> um, but, you know, what I really love is that their first two games after Thanksgiving are against the Ravens and the Bengals. And, you know, you never want to lose any games, but that's always a tough stretch for them. And if they're going to lose some games, drop them to the AFC teams. And right. they'll, they'll get, you know, some time to kind of refine their footing before, you know, weeks 15 and 16 against the 49ers and the Eagles, both of those games at home. Um, I mean, th- that's, you know, the second you know most important window. Granted, it's a little bit smaller, but I think it's it's likely going to come down to, um, to Cowboys-Eagles in week 16, um, America's Game of the Week on Fox. Uh, and It'll be it'll be fun. It'll be stressful, um, and um, ultimately, uh, I, I'm excited about this. It it feels like an interesting you know schedule, all things considered. And so, um, with the third wild card spot added, I really feel like this is a playoff team, one way or the other. But uh, the division, it's so interesting watching like you know Big Blue View or Hogshaven. It's like guys, what are you doing? I mean, this is <laughs> you're, you're just you're just wasting time right now. So it's all fun. See, I like the Giants offseason. I think the Giants are going to be seven and nine ish this year. I, I think that, you know, Daniel Jones and that offense can can move the ball a little bit, uh, Saquon. And I think they I think they improve their defense. I think I like their draft as well. So I, the Giants are going to be a little tougher this year. I still have the Eagles sweeping them just because we've won 20 out of their last 24 against New York. So you got to show me you can do it before you. I'm actually going to pick you to do it. I think we both have. Do we both have the uh, Eagles and Cowboys splitting these two games this year? Yeah, I mean, I I, I yeah. could be wrong on the way it it's goes. It's a matter of which one, yeah. because you're right. I think that Week 16 game again is probably going to be for the division. I, I'm I'm curious. What would you say is the most riveting Cowboys Eagles game in recent memory? What whatever way it broke? Because you know the the last one in Philly wasn't riveting. I mean, it was it, it was certainly fun. I have to imagine for Eagles fans. Yeah, um, yeah. And then the first one last season was was a Cowboys blowout. I, for me, I think I might say the game in Philly in 2018 the that was that was really kind of the Leighton Vander Esch coming out party that was the Zeke Hurdle game. I don't know what was the last yeah. like the last one that you were just on the edge of your seat for the whole game. Well, I mean, I was on the edge of my seat last year in week 16 because I I really that really was, you know, it was electric and it was at home and there wasn't a lot of offensive fireworks. But it was, you know, it was it was two teams who had, you know, struggled for much of the season, but it was for it was for the division. It was for the playoffs. So for me, that was that was the most uh, on your edge of your seat game. But before that, I think I got to go back to the the game in Dallas in week 16, which the Cowboys won. But it was Dak versus Wentz, their first game against each other. And that was it went down to the wire and. Um, it was a great it was a great battle back and forth, um, you know, in, in the recent history after that. The Cowboys really dominated this series against the Eagles. You're and saying so, the, the first one in 2016. The, yeah, the one, that was the Cowboys overtime win the Jason Witten. Right. That, you're right, right. You know, the Cowboys ran a fake punt in that game. Um, you know, and there was the, the NFL films clip. I'm sure you saw. of I forget who it was. Uh, it was two. Eagles defenders that you know were, had just come off the field and in the background Chris Jones is is converting the first down on the fake punt they just kind of shrug and put their helmets back on it was great yeah it was that was a rough game I mean that was obviously a game that 
both young quarterbacks played really well. It kind of gave you a sense for the the rivalry that was about to take place in the years coming forward between Dak and Carson. And obviously, you know, Dak is still not signed long term there. So mm. we'll see how long that rivalry continues. But uh, for now, for 2020, if they play a season, it's, it's still going to continue to be one of the best in football. Last thing before I let you go, um, I don't know if you saw Warren Sharp's uh, article that came out today um, in uh, sharpfootballanalysis.com. He ranked schedules over the last decade and mm-hmm. looking at which teams have been hurt the the most or have benefited the most by what he referred to as the NFL's scheduling inequalities. He had the the teams that were hurt the most by the NFL's scheduling inequalities <laughs> are in this order. Number one, the Colts, two Giants, three Bears, four Eagles, five Texans. And which teams received the strongest benefit of unfair scheduling. So which teams got off the easiest? One, Jaguars, two, Cardinals, three, the Dallas Cowboys have benefited the third most from unfair scheduling uh, over the last decade, according to his data. Just wanted to get your thoughts on whether or not you think the Cowboys have benefited from some unfair scheduling over the last 10 years or so. Well, so I have not read the article yet, but I've seen Warren tweeting about it and, and seen the data in, in those bursts. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's essentially all it is. And, yeah. uh, and I have also seen um, BLG uh, dropping his uh, his annual, um, you know, <laughs> complaint about this. And um, I think it was also the Eagles that proposed a rule about Thanksgiving games altering or something like that and so um those are always fun and that's that's always a sign that the offseason's moving right along but um i'll say this that there are a lot of cowboys fans i'm not one of them but that, that if they feel the cowboys are handed a raw deal uh when it comes to thanksgiving now generally this isn't always the case but generally they play a thursday night football game the this literally seven days after thanksgiving so they play you know thursday and thursday and so mm-hmm. people love to chirp that when they go Sunday, you know, Sunday before Thanksgiving to Thanksgiving to Thursday, they're playing, you know, three games in 11 days. That's, first of all, not mathematically correct. It's 12 days. Um, mm-hmm. And every team plays three games in 12 days when they go Sunday to Sunday to Thursday. It, like, literally every team in the NFL goes to this. And so uh, it is a point of contention that I have with a lot of Cowboys fans <laughs> that, that feel like they are, you know, um, being targeted or something. I, yeah. I do think that the fact that the Thanksgiving day game is fixed um, in terms of where it, it takes place is an advantage with everybody having to play on Thursday night football because you know the Cowboys can plan for that you know they, they know that that part of their season and their schedule is going to be wonky um, I think we both probably think that the mini buy after Thursday night football is a nice thing um, yeah. I believe that it was that 2018 game against the Eagles uh, that that the Amari Cooper walk-off touchdown which also went to overtime I think that that was their Sunday game after Thanksgiving. You know, I can understand being upset if you're an Eagles fan that you had seven days and the Cowboys had 10 or, you know, to prepare because of the Thursday night football game the week before. Without doing a lot of quantitative analysis on it, I think that yeah. that's, that's certainly worth mentioning. Um, you know, it's unfortunate the NFL schedule isn't more uniform. For example, you know, the, the Thanksgiving Day game that the Eagles destroyed the Cowboys on in 2014, the Cowboys had played in New York on Sunday Night Football the week before. That was the, the mm-hmm. Odell catch game that the Cowboys won. Yeah. And so, you know, they got back to Dallas, you know, like at 4 a.m. on Monday morning and had to play on Thanksgiving. And since then, the Cowboys have generally played at 3 o'clock Central Time 
the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and that adjustment has been made. But I do think there's a, a far more fair way to handle it. And and again, I think the fact that if you're the Cowboys and you know ahead of time that you're going to play on Thanksgiving and probably the Thursday after, you can you know you can target things that way, and and you can you can target you know your your plans and your logistics and uh, your your medical anticipation as, as best you can. I mean, it's a lot easier than just finding out. Oh, we're playing on Thursday night football week six. That's that's a harder way to roll, but um, it's an interesting <laughs> argument to say the least. And I feel like it's something that Eagles fans will will target in the blog and the boys mentions, which will make for a fun weekend. Yeah, I, I think it might come up in a Bleeding Green Nation post. I, I can imagine that somebody might write that. <clears throat> I might be me. Um, but we'll uh, we'll jump on this again later in the offseason. And, uh, you know, we don't know exactly what kind of offseason we're going to have here moving forward, whether or not all these draft picks that we just made, how much how much work they're actually going to get in. Probably nothing until training camp. And we'll, we're not really sure exactly when training camp is going to start, what it's going to look like. So uh, we obviously have a lot of time as we're kind of, re- kind of entering in the NFL dead zone here over these next uh, few weeks or so. But uh, we'll get you back on here on Eye on the Enemy coming up and uh, just kind of do a nice a nice check-in uh, later on in the summer and see how things are going down there in Dallas. In the meantime, folks, make sure you check out all of the Cowboys intel at Blogging the Boys and uh, make sure you're following uh, RJ Ochoa on Twitter. He's at RJ Ochoa. Thanks, Thanks RJ, RJ, for, for coming, coming on Eye on, on the Enemy, enemy man. man. I really, I really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Of course, uh, and a big non-thank you to you guys for doing a rewatch of the 2008 44-6 game. That hurt my soul, so appreciate it. <laughs> we try to do that every week, man. Good deal. <laughs> well, when we come back, I'm going to get into a little bit more of Warren Sharp's analysis on inequalities in the scheduling in the NFL, and particularly in the NFC East. He, he uh, raises a lot of great points that we have talked about here on BGN Radio and Bleeding Green Nation uh, for a number of years now. So we'll do that next here on Eye on the Enemy. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we're back on Eye on the Enemy. So I addressed this just briefly uh, with RJ just a a second ago, but I wanted to dip into this a little bit more. And this, of course, comes from Warren Sharp of sharpfootballanalysis.com. He took a look at the NFL schedules over the last 10 years and factored in a number of different things. He was looking at how often a team had to play on the road in primetime games versus how often they played. They got home games in primetime. How often they played on the road on Thursday nights. How often they... Uh, played opponents who had more rest than them or less rest than them and factored all of these different components in. And what he found was he ranked all 30 teams based on who had the strongest overall benefit from the schedule and who were impacted most negatively by the NFL's scheduling, what he called inequalities. And so the teams, I just mentioned him a second ago, that had the strongest benefit from the schedule were the Jaguars, the Cardinals, the Cowboys at number three, the Rams, and the Lions. The teams most impacted negatively were the Giants at number one, followed by the Colts at two, the Bears at three, the Eagles at number four, and the Houston Texans at number five. So lots of interesting nuggets uh, to dip into here on this, and... Really, the inequalities here are really condensed in the NFC East, where you've got the Giants and the Eagles who are really getting done over by the by the schedule makers here, and the Cowboys, as we've mentioned, 
are kind of skating along in, in some really in some ways that are really unfair. Uh, Sharp notes that the Giants were negative 12 in games in which they had a rest advantage, meaning uh, that um, in game you know in games in which there was a, an inequality in terms of rest, the Giants were on the unfair side of that 12 times. The Eagles had the second worst ranking with a negative 11 net. The Eagles have played 44 opponents over the last decade who had over a week to prepare. That is the most of any team in the NFL. The average is 29. So that's that's an, that's a staggering number of opponents over the last decade who've had over a week to prepare. When we're talking about the amount of rest teams have had when they play, the Cowboys have had more rest in a net of plus 10 games, which is second best in the NFL, and have only played nine short rest road games, which is also second best. Compare that to the Giants, who have had more rest in a net of negative 12 games. That's a 22-game differential, which is worst in the NFL. And the Giants have played 20 games 20 short rest road games, which is the worst. The Eagles are right behind. They've had more rest in a net of negative 11 games, which is just one less than the Giants, and have played 19 short rest road games. Again, one less than the Giants. Over the last decade, the Giants, uh, the, the Cowboys have had six home Monday night games and four road ones, whereas the Lions have had four home Monday night games and seven on the road, specifically in the NFC East. When we're looking at Thursday night games, the Giants have had a net of negative four Thursday home games, Washington negative five Thursday home games, and the Eagles just negative one net Thursday home game. But here's the Cowboys. The Cowboys have had plus nine in terms of home Thursday games, and a lot of those is due to the games that they play on Thanksgiving. So what you're seeing here is a pattern. The Cowboys don't get as many opponents on short rest as the Giants and the Eagles do. The Cowboys almost never have to play road games on Monday Night Football. They almost never, and they have far more games on Thursday at home than they do on the road. Finally, the NFL schedule makers woke up and sent the Cowboys on a road Thursday game this year where they're playing in Baltimore against the Ravens. But of course, the schedule makers also do the Cowboys a favor, a favor because on this Thursday night road game, it's not on a short week. It comes the week after the Thanksgiving Day game. So they go from playing the Vikings to playing Thanksgiving at home against Washington. So that's a short week, but it's at home. They get the Thanksgiving Day game at home, and then they get a full week to prepare for their Thursday night road game against the Baltimore Ravens. This is the inequality that we're talking about here. Why is the why is the Cowboys road game on Thursday night on a full week of rest, whereas just about every other team in the NFL has their road Thursday night games like the Eagles did in Green Bay last year come on a week of shorter rest? Those are the kinds of inequalities we're talking about here. And on some of those inequalities that Sharp was mentioning, talking about getting less rest than opponents, could this be one of the reasons why the Eagles have suffered so many injuries in recent years? It certainly, it certainly doesn't help having to play so many, so many weeks, so many more weeks with short rest than when compared to the rest of the NFL. It's not, it's not a direct causation, maybe, but maybe there's something to do with it there. The schedule makers, when they come out, when you look at it over a 10-year period, you see these continuing trends, and it's not fair. Now, I, I will point out that despite having the benefit of the schedule the way the Cowboys have had this last decade, still no Super Bowl appearances, 
still very few postseason appearances, which really makes the fact that they haven't appeared in the Super Bowl and they haven't gotten far in the NFL playoffs even more egregious, that they haven't had better a better go of it than than they have over the last decade. Where I mean, the Cowboys' last Super Bowl appearance was still during the first term of the Bill Clinton administration in 1996. So it's it's been a while. And they haven't been able to take advantage of the schedule uh, the way that uh, you would expect a team like the Cowboys would over these last few years. And that's just something to note um, as we get ready for another season of the NFL, of NFL football in which the Cowboys are going to get yet another sweet deal on their schedule. Folks, that'll do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks to RJ Ochoa from Blogging the Boys for joining. And don't forget, folks, to leave a five-star rating and a review at the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed on Apple Podcasts. Anything you do there uh, definitely helps the podcast grow in a big way. Thanks everybody for tuning in. I'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy.